Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> The witching season is upon us and we have something very special lined up for you. More news will come in the coming weeks but for now stock up on your pumpkin spice lattes, dig out your Halloween masks and prepare for a week of tricks and treats. To get the news before anyone else come join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. Brotherhood of Betterment Written by Andy Conduit-Turner Narrated by Ian McEwan It is with a great deal of agitation that I commit my account of the singular events which I witnessed at the dawn of this new year, 1886, to paper. While I am neither so deluded nor so brazen as to claim my vexation has no root in the test to my nerves and wits that I was subjected to, for they are both yet to fully recover, I am more troubled in that I cannot recount my story to any other living soul, lest I face ridicule, or perhaps worse, recriminations for the revelations it contains." As such, I shall limit my narrative's audience to my own personal diary, and never further. I had been visiting with family in the North for the celebration of Christmas, and returned to London by the early train on December 28th. 
The weather was seasonably cold, and the breath of both cab driver horses steamed as it collided with the chilled air as we drove from the station to my rooms. As we arrived, I was surprised to see a well-dressed gentleman standing at my doorway. My surprise quickly doubled as I alighted the cab and recognized the gentleman as none other than Percy Phillips. Percy had been a dear friend during our shared youth, though to my shame, I had distanced myself from him following his fall to the vices of drink and opium, which have been the ruin of many a fine character. Showing neither the shadows of any of these demons nor any resentment for my abandonment of our once firm friendship, he wrung my hand firmly as he met me at my door. Some hours later, and as we sat together, warmed by both a roaring fire and tales of the past, it was Percy who brought up the subject of his fall and subsequent recovery, which he owed to the good grace and fellowship of a club he had come to be associated with, the Brotherhood of Betterment. He went on to tell me that the companionship and support of his brethren had not only helped him overcome the chemical addictions which had isolated him from polite society and squandered much of his inherited wealth, but through their connections his position was now better than ever. This group intrigued me greatly, and I bombarded him with questions to sate my curiosity. Was this a religious or secular group? Were they associated with Freemasonry? By what methods did they help him overcome his addictions? My guest smiled and answered my questions in brief with good humor before, after a thoughtful pause, he offered that should I have interest, I could attend the group's next monthly social meeting in a few short days' time to celebrate the turning of the year. While I have no truly disruptive vices, I am also a bachelor, and as such had no prior engagements for the celebration of the new year, and so gladly accepted his invitation, and we made the appropriate arrangements. The days that followed passed uneventfully, and my regular routines continued unadjusted until the day of the event itself. In the early morning, I received a courier-delivered note from Percy, in which he informed me that he needed to attend to some club business earlier in the day, and as such, would not be able to travel to the event with me, but rather would meet me there instead. Enclosed with the note was a small card, dyed a deep red, one side bearing an address in Sydenham. This correspondence was followed not half an hour later by a wire informing me that to avoid my need to arrive alone, some other guests had been agreeable to collect me from my rooms on their own way to the event and would call on me by 9pm. As the communication had stated, a few minutes before 9 there was a ring at the bell and I stepped out into the street, dressed in my finest attire in preparation to be in refined company for the evening. The driver greeted me cordially and moved to open the door to the waiting four-wheeler. "'Begging your pardon, sir,' he spoke, pausing with his hand on the door handle and in a low voice as if not wishing to be overheard. "'I hate to be a bother, but could you remind me of the address we're headed to? I've been told by the lady already, and it don't feel proper to ask a lady to repeat herself.' 
Taking pity on the embarrassed cabbie, I took the card from Percy's note from my jacket pocket and subtly showed him the address. With a polite thank you, he nodded and opened the cab door for me to enter. Upon entering the cab, I was greeted not only by the lady, whose presence the driver's request had revealed, but also a gentleman, both around thirty, dressed in formal attire. My first impression of the lady made clear the driver's true reasons for not wishing to ask her to repeat an instruction, for despite her polite greeting and smile, her eyes gave the impression of someone who was not one to suffer fools. The symmetry of her expressive face was thrown only slightly by a small and singular blemish in the form of a slight scar below one eye. The gentleman, on the other hand, was positively jovial, his cheeks ruddy and smile broad as he shook my hand. As our carriage made its way across the city, the pair introduced themselves as Joseph and Jessica Hamilton, siblings who had recently returned from some years in the Americas, who were looking at the Brotherhood as a conduit by which to reacquaint themselves to London society. We passed much of the journey exchanging small talk until we reached our destination some thirty minutes later. Stepping from the cab, Joseph declined my offer to pay for a share of the fare and bid me to walk ahead with Jessica while he settled matters with the driver. We were briefly detained at the door when a stout doorman with the countenance of a gargoyle demanded we state a password. As I stuttered and fumbled with the invitation card Percy had sent with his letter, Jessica calmly plucked it from my grip and, flipping the card, calmly stated a phrase written on the back of the card that had gone unnoticed on my first reading. Predam media nocte. This seemed to satisfy the granite-featured sentinel, and as Joseph rejoined us, we were ushered into the building. Once within, we were guided by serving staff into a lavishly decorated ballroom, its high ceilings adorned with glittering chandeliers, and the large windows which circled the room insulated against the winter cold by luxurious, thick red curtains. Almost as soon as we arrived, an effusive Percy rushed to greet me, and then began to introduce me to various club members he had mentioned in our discussion some days earlier. My travel companions, the Hamilton siblings, quickly vanished into the mingling party crowd and passed from my sight and thoughts alike. While a copious range and volume of drink was being served, a somewhat surprising amount for an organization supporting those overcoming excesses of indulgence, there was no food presented. Percy informed me that one of the Brotherhood's tenements was one of delayed gratification and that a grand feast would be served at midnight as a celebration of the new year. As midnight approached, silence fell over the room as the group's leader addressed the gathered party. His speech detailed the principles of their society, of rebirth, revitalization, resilience, and how those who joined had passed great ordeals to attain true betterment. If I'm honest, much of the message may have been lost on me, owing to the drink and its unusual content, 
However, the arrival of midnight began an incredibly sobering affair that brought all to wretched clarity. As the clocks began to strike, coordinated movements by individuals around the room caused the drapes to simultaneously drop to the floor, flooding the room with moonlight. That instant, several of the attendees, Percy included, fell writhing to the floor. Screams of men and women alike erupted from around the room as the group's membership undertook a grotesque transformation before me. Bones cracking and hair sprouting as well-dressed ladies and gentlemen morphed into misshapen, penny-dreadful beasts. The clocks had barely ceased chiming before the first bloodshed began, as a gentleman immediately to my left was set upon by a hair-covered aberration in the remnants of an evening gown with blazing, demonic eyes. A single swipe of a clawed hand tore his fine waistcoat, undershirt, and flesh beneath as though they were tissue, but before he could cry out, the monster was upon him, ripping at his throat with terrible jaws. Amongst the carnage and screams, a number of crashes and sounds of breaking glass rang out, and the room began to fill with an acrid smoke. As I stood gripped by terror, the obscuration of the horrific events around the room was somewhat of a mercy though the sounds alone were enough to render me insensible with fright. Soon, all but enveloped in the smoke, the only other figure I could see clearly was the beast which had once been Percy Phillips, as it flung back its head and unleashed a chilling howl before fixing its eyes directly on me. I stared back at the creature in panic and disbelief. I wasn't sure if the emotion painted across its visage was of hatred for my cruel abandonment in his time of need, or something more primal. My musings were cut short as Percy pounced and, upon pinning me to the floor, began to maul me, tearing at my garments in search of flesh to devour, only to suddenly be flung aside as he was struck directly in the head by something. Sitting up with a start, I glanced to the creature to see a silver-colored crossbow belt protruding from a newly made hole in the beast's skull. Upon turning back, I was equally surprised to see the face of my savior. Joseph Hamilton? I spoke in disbelief in seeing the man from my initial journey, no longer in evening wear, but a form of unorthodox combat armor, with leather protecting his torso, shining steel vambraces, and wielding a crossbow that he was in the process of reloading. 
it's actually Lambton. He spoke casually as he, with seemingly little effort, pulled back the firing mechanism. Dreadfully sorry about the deception and using you to gain entry, my good fellow, but in our defense, my sister and I are a little too well known in these circles to obtain an invite ourselves, and we needed to take this pack all at once. He fired another bolt into the void of smoke, though the pained yelp that followed indicated that his eyes had seen what mine had not. You... Do this professionally, yes. Family business. Well, curse, actually. Lambton was interrupted by the arrival of his sister, wearing the same unusual armor. Not the time for small talk, Joseph. As she spoke, another creature came snarling out of the smoke directly at her. With a flick of her wrist, she positioned a silver rapier in line with her attacker's salivating maw, the behemoth's own momentum driving the needle-like blade through the soft palate and into its brain. After a few moments, with the creature standing involuntarily twitching, transfixed on her blade, Jessica raised a boot to its chest and with a push caused it to fall lifeless to the floor. Turning to me, she spoke once more with simple instructions. Run or hide, now! Needing no further instruction, I selected the former and fled the scene. I'm not sure how I scrambled through the smoke and devastation and by some miracle found a door and within moments was running, babbling and sobbing into the streets. Since my ordeal on that fateful evening, some four weeks past, my physical marks of the event have healed, but their mental impression remains. I've scarcely left my rooms, and when essential to do so, only at the height of the daylight hours. As night falls, I've kept my curtains drawn for fear of what I might see stalking me. I hear sounds from the streets below most nights, and my curiosity is almost as undeniable as my fear. The moon is full tonight, so the streets should be well lit enough that I might safely peek around the drapes to see who or what is watching me. Having now set my narrative to record, I feel resolute in facing whatever it may be. I told you they tainted him. Jessica scolded her brother from the shadows of the alley opposite the window as human screams began to devolve into bestial howls. Another night's work is afoot then. No lantern shall ever die peacefully in his bed. Joseph primed his crossbow with a silver boat. At least not tonight. Jessica spoke while stepping out of the shadows towards the growing howling. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Brotherhood of Betterment was written by Andy Condrick-Turner, narrated by Ian McEwen, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Katie Springer and Sam Robson. 
Once again, I'd just like to remind you that the witching season is now upon us and we have something very special lined up for you. More news will come in the coming weeks, but for now, stock up on your pumpkin spiced lattes, dig out your Halloween masks and prepare for a week of tricks and treats. To get the news before everyone else, come join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. Once again, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. Until next time.